Welcome to Montgomery Community Church Podcast. Thank you so much for listening today. We hope this message encourages you and inspires you to grow deeper in your faith. If you'd like to learn more about MCC, you can visit our website at mcc.church. 50 years ago, our country was in a season of great division. Drugs were spreading like wildfire. Racism, of course, uh, was a real problem. And uh, in some ways, it still is, right, in our country. There were all kinds of division, and people were not getting along. Politically, people were charged and were against one another. I mean, so many different things going on. And yet, in the midst of it all, a movement, a revolution started in California, of all places. It was a revolution that started with a focus on Jesus Christ. And that focus on Jesus Christ began to spread throughout our country. And it caught the attention of Time Magazine, who put it on the front cover. And it called it The Jesus Revolution. See, there's a power that happens when we place Jesus as central. And as one action step in this series we are in, I'm asking all of you to go see The Jesus Revolution. In fact, here's just a part of an interview that happened with uh, the key actor in this movie, and you can even see how Jesus is changing him. Uh, That's a scene from Jesus Revolution. Tell us about it. It's a nice movie. Yeah, it looks beautiful. I mean, you're tearing up. I see you getting emotional. (laughs) What are are you feeling? (laughs) Can I play doctor? Uh, Yes, of course. Um, I, I, I love this movie. I really love it. When, my, when we first saw the first cut, uh, we sat down in our home and, and Kate saw it. She said, oh my God, it's the best thing you've ever done. She started crying. <laughs> but uh, he's, uh, he's a man looking for his own faith and finds it as well. Uh, a man whose church is empty and he can't get uh, traction and he's starting to think he's going to be fired from his job as a pastor. And uh, uh, this hippie comes into his life and he finds new purpose, and uh, started a movement that is still still going. So I mean, this it's is a extraordinary. True story. Yeah, it's a true story. You're Chuck Smith. Chuck Smith is uh, the yeah. guy I played. He died in uh, 2014, I think. But uh, the number of people who came up uh, and said, oh, "You're playing Chuck Smith." Oh, I, I listen to him all the time. Or uh, they say, uh, "He's uh, he ma- he married us." Or uh, I was baptized by Chuck Smith. Uh, you can see this light in their eyes. And, In a time in our country, facing great division, the focus on Jesus helped bring about unity. We need Jesus. We need unity in our homes, in our neighborhoods, in our culture, in our country, in our world. And that's what we're going to talk about today. How do we get there? What does that look like? Well, if you've been around a while, you know that around six or seven years ago, one morning I went out for my daily jog, and I used to jog pretty much every single day. And I did my normal stretches. Everything was the same, except for about two minutes in, suddenly I felt like fire running through the back of my leg, and it suddenly stopped me in my tracks. I couldn't move. And so I limped all the way back home. I got some ice out for the next couple days, thought I'll just rest it, it'll get better, but it never did. And so I went to one doctor and then another and eventually learned that I had torn my hamstring and I needed hamstring reattachment surgery. One of the most painful things I'd ever been through in the recovery was just 
horrible. And even though I came through the other side of that, I soon learned that I would most likely never be able to run again. And so I like to be outside, so I turned to the sport of cycling. I hadn't done that before. And since I didn't already have a bicycle, I researched online like the best bikes to get because I wanted to get a good one. Uh, but they were a lot of money, so I found a used one from a guy in Atlanta, Georgia. It was shipped to me, and I brought it to Montgomery Cyclery. They put it together, and I took it out for a spin. I thought it was amazing. But when I got back, I learned that if I wanted to be a true cyclist, I needed more than just a helmet and a bike. I learned they told me that I needed a base layer to wick away the sweat. And they showed me it was a bit expensive. That's not all. I needed an insulating second layer to help keep me warm on cool days. Well, that's helpful. And then I needed an outer windproof and waterproof layer to keep me protected from the wind and the rain. And by the time I totaled up the cost for, you know, kind of engaging in this new sport of cycling, I could have bought a car, if you know what I'm talking about. It's really expensive. But when you think about it, layering is not just something that cyclists do. Layering is something that many people do. I mean, runners wear layers, they do. Mountain climbers wear layers. Skiers, I love to ski, they wear layers. In fact, we all wear layers. The only question is, what kind of layers are we wearing? What kind of layers are we wearing? Because you see, underneath it all, there is a truth that impacts every single person who has ever lived, and it's this. What we hide controls us. What we hide controls us. And so when something isn't right inside, the Bible calls that sin, we try to cover it up. It goes all the way back to the Garden of Eden. And we cover that up, and then in order to cover that up so people don't see it, we wear another layer to, to cover that up. And one layer after another, and eventually, we're dressed in layers. We think we're hiding it. But people can see in our interactions and how we're talking to them, but something just isn't right. They're not sure what the layers are, but we're all wearing layers, one or the other. And Paul addressed these layers in, in our sermon last weekend. I hope you will check it out online if you, didn't, if you weren't here or didn't see it. He talked about layers of immorality, layers of greed, layers of selfishness. These are the layers that we tend to wear. And he said, you know what, as true Christ followers, we are called to dress differently. In fact, once we have been transformed by Christ's grace and his forgiveness, a radical change should take place within us that is noticed by our external world by the way that we dress. So how do we dress in the right ways? How do we dress in ways that bring about unity? Well, last weekend, Paul told us the first step. The first step is to identify what those layers are. God has already forgiven them, and he says, so stop putting them back on. Rid yourself of those layers, throw them off into a pile, and then burn them. That's what he said, burn them. Get rid of that old wardrobe. That's the first step. The second step we see here in Colossians 3, starting in verse 12, that leads us to some steps that follow. And here's what Paul writes. As God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved. I'm going to stop right there. Do you know that you are dearly loved by the Father? You are. You see, if we forget who we are now in Jesus Christ, we're going to start dressing in the ways that we used to dress. So rather than maybe look like this, right, we can look in our old ways and we can look kind of like this. And nobody wants to look like that, right? So... 
Paul says, you got to remember how God sees you and dress accordingly. That's why in the Old Testament, God said, you shall be my treasure possessions among all people, for all the earth is mine, and you shall be to me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. So do you believe that God loves you deeply, that you are precious, that you are prized? Do you know that he has his hand all over your life? He does. So may we never forget that we who are loved by the Father have been chosen by the Father as his special possessions to live and to look more and more like him in this world. So may we all then leave our former wardrobe behind, burn it, leave it behind, and start dressing differently. So how do we dress? Paul says, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, clothe yourselves. I'm going to stop there. Sorry, but I have to. Because Paul is telling us that if we're going to dress differently, we have to dress differently on purpose. God has a part. We have a part. We have to dress on purpose. And that means we don't dress, you know, haphazardly. We don't dress quickly. We don't dress comfortably. We don't even dress fashionably so we fit in with the culture. Rather, we dress purposefully. Because after all, we're not called to be casual Christians. We're called to be committed Christians living in our culture. So now take in the words of the Lord. As God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, clothe yourselves. How? With a base layer of compassion. Kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Bear with each other and forgive whatever grievances you may have against one another. Forgive as the Lord forgave you. And over all these virtues, put on love, which binds them all together in perfect unity. There's that unity word. We'll get to that. So Paul first tells us that the base layer for our transformed lives begins with compassion. Now, in the original language, our word for compassion literally means bowels of mercies. Isn't that beautiful? Bowels of mercies. It can gross us out a bit, but let's not miss the heart of what it's saying. It's saying when we truly wear compassion well, we feel another's pain deeply. And it hurts. And because we feel their pain deeply, we step in to actually help them. In my last church, um, I worked there for 11 years, was blessed to serve there. Uh, what you may not know, if you've been around here just new, is that um, I haven't always been a senior pastor. Before that, I was a worship leader for many years. I was a musician. And that's how I started in that church, eventually became the senior pastor. But before that, I was struggling as a musician. In fact, I had no idea what was going on. It was really bothering me. And so I walked out of church one day, out the exit doors, and as I walked outside, Liz was waiting there, Elizabeth Peck. And she looked at me, and I didn't realize I was showing it, but she said, Phil, what's wrong? I said, you know what? I don't know what's wrong with my hand. I mean, I can't control it. It moves like randomly all over the place. I can hardly brush my teeth, comb my hair anymore. It's hard for me even to write my name, but I can't play the guitar anymore. It's how I support my family. She says, Phil, I'm so sorry you're going through that. I'm so sorry. She says, you know what might be helpful is to get a wrist brace. You know, it would kind of keep things stable. And I thought as she said that, well, that makes some sense. But what I didn't know in that moment was that a few months later, I'd end up in the Cleveland Clinic and they would tell me that I had a neurological disorder called focal dystonia, that I would never play the guitar again in my life. 
And I didn't know that then. I thought, well, that makes sense. She said, you know, what you need is a wrist brace. Then she said, you know what? We can make one together. We can do this together. And I was touched by her compassion, but I was touched by her life. Because this is a picture of Carol and I with Liz at her birthday. Can you put that up? It's on this side. There you are. And there she is. If she could stand, she would have been about three feet tall. Liz had brittle bone disease, so just moving wrong, she'd break ribs, she'd break bones. Her life was difficult. She lived in a wheelchair. And she could have said, Phil, I mean, I'm sorry about your wrist, but do you know who you're talking to here? I mean, you're able to walk and live life. I'll never be able to get out of this chair. I'll never be able to walk. And you're able to get married and have kids and have a life. I'll probably never get married. I'll never have kids. I'll never have a life. So, man, sorry to hear about your wrist. But what about me? Compassion says, oh, I don't care about me right now. I care about your pain. I put you first. And so she said, oh, you need a wrist brace. We can make this together. We can do this together. Not long afterwards, the family asked me to conduct her funeral. But I'll never forget her. You see, the base layer of compassion is not just the closest layer to your skin. It becomes part of your skin that dictates the extent to which your heart truly breaks for another. It dictates what your hands might do, how your life responds. You see, compassion in Latin literally means to suffer with. And when we're willing to suffer with another, friends, we are one layer closer to embracing and displaying the kind of unity so needed in our world. So what does it look like for you to wear the base layer of compassion every single day? Because over the base layer of compassion, Paul tells us we are to put on kindness. Now, this is a mid-layer of clothing that is often in short supply in our culture, and you got to wonder why. Because I don't know about you, but I have never met a person who doesn't want to be treated kindly. Hmm. The modern definition for kindness is this. The quality of being friendly, generous, and considerate. The ancient definition is this. The virtue of a person whose neighbor's good is as dear to them as their own. Now, whatever definition you prefer, here's one thing that's clear is that if we don't look at this correctly, we can think that kindness is a one-time act. This isn't what Paul is talking about. In fact, in the original language, our word for kindness points us in the direction of moral integrity. See, integrity mandates an active mindset that dictates one's every action all the time. It's why in Romans, Paul discusses God's kindness. And how it operates. He says, do you show contempt for the riches of his kindness, forbearance and patience, not realizing that God's kindness is intended to lead you to repentance? When you think about a kindness that leads someone to repentance, that takes a long time. It's a kindness that's consistent. It's unrelenting. It's persistent. In other words, it becomes a habit. It's not dependent upon how I feel in that moment or how even that other person responds. Rather, it's a consistent kindness that goes on and on and on. You see, when you're clothed with kindness, you'll be constantly seeking the other's good as you deal with the other person's weaknesses. Kindness is a garment with healing in its wings. 
Like I told you, I had hamstring surgery. Now, pretty much right after I had surgery, it wasn't long, I found myself at a Garth Brooks concert. I didn't feel comfortable being there uh, at all. I couldn't even walk yet. You see, someone in this church, months and months before I even knew I would have surgery, you know, bought these tickets for us to go to Garth Brooks with him. And the timing, it wasn't good, but here I am. I'm in a wheelchair, Carol is pushing me, and I'll tell you what, to stand, incredibly painful. I mean, I'd just come out of surgery. So I'm there at the Garth Brooks concert. And as we're kind of in that concert trying to enjoy it, I, I looked up at Carol and I said, you know what? I had way too much Diet Coke before we got here. I gotta go to the bathroom. And so she wheeled me out, right? And I thought, well, this is a good time because you know what, everyone else is in the concert. I was wrong. And like everyone else was standing in line waiting to go into the restroom. That's where everyone else was. It was like a mile long. And so she stopped with the wheelchair and we just kind of stopped there unsure of what to do. It was gonna take forever. And then this guy that we had never seen in our lives came up and he said, looked at me, he says, well, what's wrong? I said, I just had hamstring surgery. I, it's hard for even to stand at this point. He looked at my wife, he says, I got this. And he took the wheelchair from her in a moment and just started wheeling me towards the restroom. And as he's wheeling me closer and closer, he says, guys, move aside. This guy here, he has it a lot worse than you do. Get out of the way, come on. And we get up to the entrance. Guys, you're gonna have to move over. Okay, he just had surgery. Come on now. You know what? He's got a lot worse than you. Come on, guys, move over, come on. And immediately I found myself, he wheels me right up to the stall and then he locks the wheelchair and suddenly he looks at me and he says, do you need help to stand? I said, oh yeah. I can't stand on my own. And suddenly before I knew it, underneath my arms come boom, and I'm standing there. And I'm hurting, and I'm nervous, and I'm shaking. And then he said, can I help you with anything else? I said, well, thanks, I think I got this last step all by myself. Sometimes you can have too much kindness, if you know what I'm talking about. Are you layering well? What could kindness look like for you? You see, when we're truly kind, we are one layer closer to ensuring the kind of unity so needed in our culture, so needed in our world. Because over the base layer of compassion and the mid layer of kindness, you'll then put on humility. Humility. Friends, humility is not a new layer of clothing. It's been around forever. And yet it's long been misunderstood. Some people think that humility is like, you know what, when I think, I'm just not that good. You know, I can't do that. I'm not as good as everyone else. No, that's just putting yourself down. Rick Warren says it this way, true humility is not thinking less of yourself. It is thinking of yourself less. Hmm. So it says, well, I'm not Jesus. I'm called to be like Jesus. And Jesus daily put others first throughout his entire ministry. It's why the Apostle Paul would later write these beautiful and powerful words. In your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus, who being in very nature God did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself. It's your Bible, underline those words. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death 
on a cross. Behind me stands the cross, it's there. This symbol, the cross, is a symbol that has stood the test of time. It should remind us of all, all of, of humility. That because Jesus chose humility, out of his humility he went to the cross for us. And it kind of works in a similar way but different for us. In order for us to come to the cross, we also need humility. Humility to say, you know what? I've been putting on those layers. I got to throw them off. I got to burn them. Lord, forgive me. And Jesus said, you know, remember me. Remember what I've done. And when we remember what he's done, it requires us to humble ourselves and say, Lord, before I can remember you, I need to confess to you. So in a moment, we're gonna remember him. But before we do that, here in this room, online, as you're watching, in the quietness of this moment, say a prayer. Say, Lord, forgive me. I, I messed up on the way here. At work this week, Lord, I blew it, forgive me. But spend this time before we remember him, before we take these elements, before I continue on in this message, let's humble ourselves. And let's confess, this is your time right now. Jesus, we thank you that in humility you went to the cross for us. Thank you. Now, Lord, hear our prayers. Hear us, Lord, we pray. And as we bask in this moment, this moment of your incredible, powerful, beautiful presence, we desire to remember you. Friends, on the night he was betrayed, Jesus took the bread and he broke it. He said, this is my body broken for you. Friends, let's remember him. Let's take and let's eat together. And he took the cup. As he poured it out, he said, this is my blood poured out for the forgiveness of your sins. The fact that your sins can be washed away, that God chooses to remember them no longer. So in humility, let us drink together as we remember him.
Lord, thank you for your grace, your forgiveness in our lives. It washes away our sins, something that only you can do. And now, Lord, because of what you've done, help us to live differently. Help us, Lord, to dress differently. And help us, Lord, every single day to put on that layer of humility. Lord, that we would represent you wherever we go and that when people encounter us, they would want more of you. And in humility, maybe they would respond to you and start following you. This is our prayer. To you be the glory. We pray in your name, Jesus. Amen. So the truth is whenever we see someone embodying Christ's humility, we're kind of awestruck, aren't we? We kind of, we kind of pull back and we admire it. We'll even tell others about what we've seen. But here's the question the text wants us to ask of ourselves. Do you see humility when you look in the mirror? Are you layering well? And if not, perhaps heed this advice by Mother Teresa, powerful words. She said, these are the few ways we can practice humility. To speak as little as possible of oneself. To mind one's own business. Not to want to manage other people's affairs. To avoid curiosity. To accept contradictions and corrections cheerfully. To pass over the mistakes of others. To accept insults and injuries. To accept being slighted, forgotten, and disliked. To be kind and gentle, even under provocation. Never to stand on one's dignity. To choose always the hardest. Hmm. What would it look like if we did that? Friends, if we're honest, our culture, everything our culture expects from us runs completely contrary to you and I embracing a humble spirit. I mean, we live in a world that says, you know what, put your opinion on Facebook while expecting everyone to agree with you. And then, of course, tweet your response when somebody is obviously wrong. And then act like an expert in every area of your life, especially in those areas of your life where you're really a novice. Paul asks us to think differently. In fact, in the midst of any challenging situation you and I really are faced with, Paul is saying, well, you ask yourself this question. What does humility require of me in this moment? What does humility require of me in this moment? Are you layering well? What's in your wardrobe? See, whenever you display humility, you're one layer closer to ensuring the kind of unity so desperately needed in our world. Because over the base layer of compassion, we are to wear kindness, humility, and then gentleness. Gentleness. The Bible often refers to gentleness as meekness. And here's the thing. In our world, to be meek is to be weak. In fact, when we think of a gentle person, a meek person, we think of them as being timid, unassertive, spineless, soft-spoken. They're like a doormat. And yet Jesus said meekness is essential for every single one of us. It's why he said, blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. It's huge. And we think, well, how can that be possible? Because that's not how it works in our culture, and that's right. Because our culture, our world looks at things upside down. That's why Paul wrote the Romans. He says, don't copy the behavior and customs of this world. But let God transform you into a new person by changing the way that you think. Then you will learn to know God's will for you, which is good and pleasing and perfect. 
You see, in the Bible, our word meek is actually defined in two different ways. In Hebrew, it means humility and accepting God's guidance. And in Greek, it means humility and responding to others. So put that together, what do you have? I think you have a person who has so submitted their lives to the Lord's leading that they treat others as Jesus would treat them in that moment. Think about this. When Jesus was faced with the slaps and the insults of the Pharisees just before he went to the cross for us, he didn't respond by, you know, calling hellfire to rain down on them. He could have. Rather, he endured the insults and pain with true gentleness. Peter would later write about this. He says, to this you were called because Christ suffered for you, leaving you an example that you should follow in his steps. He committed no sin and no deceit was found in his mouth. When they hurled their insults at him, he did not retaliate. When he suffered, he made no threats. Instead, he entrusted himself to him who judges justly. Friends, this doesn't mean that we're to allow other people to abuse us. Not at all. It does mean, though, that another's words shouldn't cause you to lash back. And another's actions shouldn't cause you to seek the upper hand. You see, gentleness is the garment of a God-controlled person. Because when you put on gentleness, the other person can take off their self-defensive armor and they can put on trust. Are you layering well? How could gentleness be displayed in your own life? Because when you and I embody gentleness, we are one layer closer to ensuring the kind of unity so needed in our world. Because over the base layer of compassion, we are to layer kindness and humility and gentleness and then patience. How are you doing with that? Patience. How would you define patience? Well, I looked it up. Uh, one of our modern dictionaries says it this way. Having the capacity to tolerate delay, trouble, or suffering without complaint. And I don't know about you, but I think the key word in that definition is the word tolerate. It literally means to put up with. So is that what Paul had in mind? Is it the idea that if you jump in line ahead of me at Kroger, or if you cut me off in traffic without showing me any consideration at all, or if you say a harsh word to me that judges me and belittles me, and I put up with you by not complaining about you, then I'm wearing patience well? I don't think so. In the original language, our word for patience means long-suffering, consistency, perseverance. And when we take patience into our walk with Jesus, it involves a component of trust for us. Because when this occurs, we're content to wait on the Lord for the outcome, even when we're not seeing the progress that we want. And what does that mean? It means that if you are learning well, Think about this. If you are wearing patience well by walking alongside me in all of my stubbornness, then you don't just put up with me. Rather, you love me enough to walk with me through all of my junk. And as you do so, you might even show more patience to me when I open up the door to reveal that on the other side, there's more junk there as well. See, patience doesn't abide by its own schedule. Patience abides by the schedule of another and patience doesn't ask, what is the bare minimum I can do? Patience asks, how can I be as Christ-like as possible with you in this moment? A couple ways to practice patience. First, identify any unhelpful expectation you have about a person or a situation. I mean, so many people are impatient. I mean, the light just turned red, and 15 seconds later, they're impatient. They're angry. They expect it to change for them in 15 seconds when it takes two minutes for everyone else. 
Or they encounter someone who's really in pain and they get impatient with them because they're hurting. Friends, identify any unhelpful expectations that you have and then slow down. Humble yourself. See, when you wear patience, you're one layer closer to ensuring the kind of unity so needed in our world. Because as you do so, it's gonna help you to put on the next layer of clothing that's so essential in every single relationship you're ever gonna have. It's called forbearance and forgiveness. Paul says these are woven together as one, forbearance and forgiveness. You see, there's a lot that needs to be endured in our relationships, a lot that requires forbearance and forgiveness. Forbearance means I hold you up by holding back. I mean, no matter how difficult you are, I'm gonna hold you up, which means I'm gonna hold back from saying what I really wanna say and responding how I really wanna respond because you really annoy me. I hold back because I'm gonna hold you up. And forgiveness means I extend you pardon no matter how difficult you've been to me in this moment. See, when we think about it, really, when we look at the Bible, Whenever someone has hurt you, there are at least two roads that you can take. Jesus told us of the first road in Matthew 18. He said, if your brother or sister sins, go and point out their fault just between the two of you. Don't go telling somebody else about it. If they listen to you, you have won them over. But if they will not listen, take one or two others along so that every matter may be established by the testimony of two or three witnesses. If they still refuse to listen, tell it to the church. And if they refuse to listen even to the church, treat them as you would a pagan or a tax collector. He's saying, you know what? When you've been hurt by another, go to them, not to anyone else. Go to them and say, you know what? Your words hurt me. Can we talk about that? And if that doesn't go well, then come back and bring somebody that you both know with you. Maybe they can help mediate that situation. And if that doesn't go well, we'll bring in an authoritative figure that's important to both of you and see if that can be worked out. But Jesus is saying, go the distance. The second road is one that Jesus actually modeled for us. Well, hanging on the cross and looking down at those who had nailed him there, he said, Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they are doing. And friends, you're gonna encounter hundreds of people throughout the course of your life that do not know what they are doing. They don't know that their words just hurt you. They do not know that what they just did really offended you. Maybe just forgive them. Because why? Because there's gonna be times that you are that person and you're not gonna know that you just offended somebody with your words and you just offended them with your actions. Grace, friends, grace. But whatever road you choose, the outcome should still be the same. In Ephesians, Paul writes, be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another as God in Christ forgave you. And how did God forgive you? Fully, fully. See, when you forgive another, you're one layer closer to ensuring the kind of unity so needed in our world. So are you layering well? Who do you need to forgive? Paul tells us as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, that's who you are. Clothe yourself on purpose with the base layer of compassion. On top of that, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Bear with each other and forgive whatever grievances you may have against one another. Forgive as the Lord forgave you, and over all these virtues, put on love. Love. You see, if compassion is our inner garment, And if kindness, humility, gentleness, patience, forbearance, and forgiveness are its everyday shirts and pants and skirts and socks, then love is the overcoat. 
Because Paul says, on top of all these things, put on love. And love has been defined over and over again in different ways in our culture, so we don't even know what it is any longer. What is love? Paul tells us love is patient, love is kind. It's made up of some of the other layers he just talked about. It does not envy, it does not boast, it is not proud. It does not dishonor others. It is not self-seeking. It is not easily angered. It keeps no record of wrongs. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. It always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres. And what is the outcome of this top coat, if you will, when we display it? Paul says, over all these virtues put on love, which binds them all together in perfect unity. Now, I want us to notice something here. He says, love helps bring all the other layers he talked about and attributes together as a completed whole. It's like a completed garment. Because when you are whole, when you are unified in character and integrity in here, you can help bring unity to others out there. But it starts here. And here's the good news. Even if you forget to wear a certain article of clothing in some kind of really challenging situation, The Bible says if you still wear love, you can still offer hope because Peter said, above all, keep loving one another earnestly since love covers a multitude of sins. So love inspires unity. So what is unity? What is it? I mean, does unity occur when everyone agrees upon every single detail of an important kind of matter? Is that unity? Or is unity, does that occur when everyone else agrees with you? Is that unity? No and no. Think about this. And think about this throughout the week. What does unity look like? I have to say this. Maybe unity is agreeing that the gospel is central rather than my opinion being central. Maybe unity is agreeing that Jesus is our only Savior, so I'm not going to try to save you right now. But I'll show you compassion and kindness. Maybe unity is about putting others first rather than getting angry when I'm not first. Maybe unity is about agreeing upon the major things in Scripture and letting the minor things be minor things. Maybe unity is about loving another regardless of whether we actually naturally get along. And maybe unity is about worshiping God rather than desiring that people worship and esteem and like me. The Bible says how good and pleasant it is when God's people live together in unity. It is like the precious oil poured on the head, running down on the beard. For there the Lord bestows his blessings, even life evermore. So do you want life and blessings evermore? Then layer well, friends. Layer well. See, many of us have been going around in our lives wearing a certain wardrobe. And often we haven't really given much thought to what we're wearing just as long as what we're wearing makes us look good. Paul tells us to wear a wardrobe that ensures goodness for others. It's a different kind of wardrobe altogether. It's a wardrobe that actually conveys to others who you truly follow. Remember, Jesus said, by this, everyone will know you are my disciples if you love one another. So are you layering well? What's in your wardrobe? Because when I layer well, I love well, which inspires unity for all, for everyone. So will you close your eyes right now? And maybe just say some quick prayers and then listen. 
maybe the first prayer is this, God, please show me what layers of clothing I'm not even wearing. Now, Lord, help me by your spirit to put on those layers every single day. And Lord, help my life to be consistent, that I would layer well every day, that I would display these beautiful attributes of you, Jesus, to others, that you would always be central in my life, not me. May the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be pleasing in your sight, O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. May every day of my life, may I build my life on you, Lord. To your glory and your glory alone. Thanks for listening. You can stay connected throughout the week by following Montgomery Community Church on Facebook and Instagram. For more information about MCC, visit our website at mcc.church.